Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Three CR eight five five AM, three CR digital, three CR dot org dot AU, and three CR on demand. Out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon till one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. Three CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the original inhabitants, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay respects to elders, past, present, and emerging and acknowledge all the Aboriginal lands that um, um, are part of this continent now called Australia, um, which it wasn't 230 years ago or plus. Um, If you want to get in touch with the show, there's lots of ways to do it. Um, You can do so via email, outofthepan855 at gmail.com. You can SMS 61456 751215. You can tweet at Sal Gold Said So, and that's the bottom line. Or you can look for the posts on Facebook on my page, Sally Goldner, and um, you can also um, look for um, the posts on the Out of the Pan page. And thanks to the good people from 3CR and In Your Face for retweeting. So yes, at Sal Gold Said So, and that's the bottom line. On the show today, I'm so excited to have, to me, someone who's just doing some awesome work as part of our diverse rainbow communities. Tina Dixon, who will be talking about the conference for queer refugees in Canberra in November, abstracts opening and people who want to tell their story. Um, I think some of the things we'll talk about. Also, if we have time, of course, some good news during the week. And that is that finally, um, another attempt um, to reform Victoria's birth certificate laws has got underway, which is really fantastic. We do need that to happen. Um, But by goodness, there's been lots of news during the week. I deliberately opened up for many reasons, particularly in Stonewall Month. I'm going to have a link a few things here um, with Bob Seger's satirical song, um, the um, UMC, and that version off one of the great underrated live albums of our time, um, and um, that was um, Live Bullet way back in 1975. So I wanted to talk first about, well, upper middle class latte belt lefties. Um, Carly, and I want to talk about um, this, I want to quote um, Carly Findlay, who's a person who identifies with um, disabilities. And Carly has written about um, the um, Australian Progress Conference that was held during the week here in Melbourne. And it was held at Melbourne Town Hall, which whilst not someone who has any real physical disability to speak of, it's not really that great um, in terms of slow lifts and other things um, and lots of stairs. But um, Carly has um, commented on Facebook. um, This was posted late Friday. 
um, the lack of access was fed back in 2017. Now, that's really worrying that they haven't fixed it. Um, so um, in 2017, Ellen Fraser-Barber, another disability activist and academic, said, I couldn't access as there were no functioning hearing loops, no captioning, no online information about the speeches to read up on difficulty navigating the venue I crumbled on one day of the conference and my resilience was shot. I don't feel as if I belong in these environments within these communities or at these forums. My body does not um, belong in this world of dominantly able neurotypical people. That experience of not belonging is hurtful. And so um, um, Carly said, thank you for letting me quote you, Alan. What's happened this year? No ramps for raised stages, um, no Auslan or captioning of speeches. A disabled person felt singled out when they were searched by security. like to know more about that. Crowds were hard to navigate. Areas around the lifts were crowded. Accessible toilets, not on all floors. Security at the town hall told people they could not bring food in and the conference wasn't catered and the book signing desk was in a really cold spot. And so why the cold spot? Well, if you are someone with a chronic illness, um, having the right level of warmth is understandably important, as it would be, I think, generally. I've got to say, from my point of view, I've found Melbourne Town Hall. Look, it's a lovely venue. It's got great history and, you know, it's great for performance. But I'm sorry, it's not a conference venue when you can't bring food in. You've got to race out at morning tea breaks or whatever to, well, look, it's a Melbourneian thing, but you've got to get your coffee or you can be beverage diverse and get tea or hot chocolate. But you've got to bring um, the fact that you can't bring anything other than bottled water in is just piss weak. But I've also got to say I've been misgendered on repeated occasions by the same security staff. Now, I don't care if they're City of Melbourne or they're contractors. You don't fob off and say, oh, they're contractors. And if it's the same people, they're not learning. So that is not good enough. And the reason then it links into Bob Seeger's track, Upper Middle Class, is I've had issues with Progress and their conferences and their workshops and boot camps before because they do seem very upper-middle-class, latte-belt-exclusivist lefty. And you've got to fundraise to, rather than do scholarships, to get there. Well, that leaves out the real people at the grassroots and the emerging issues, people who might be on the autism spectrum, um, people who are not really battling because non-binary people can find it harder to work, get work even than binary trans people and so on. And they're the voices we need to be hearing about. And this also links in to a fantastic email I got from Melina prior to today's show, our loyal listener, um, career politicians. Melina wrote in to the paper more about, um, into the age, Sydney Morning Herald, more about John Della Riva. Now, politicians, of course, yes, they can be in Parliament. Yes, they can be, um, sorry, I should say, um, the, I'm not John Della Riva, I beg your pardon. Um, and unfortunately, I've just hit my um, uh, firewall limit and can't reaccess the article. But it was about careerist politicians who don't really care. And, of course, you don't have to be in Parliament to be a politician. We've got some of them in our own rainbow communities. People who don't walk their talk on diversity. People who think they just can take over. Um, I could do a really badly... If you want a really badly, probably politically incorrect joke, um, email me. I probably can't say it on air about um, how many people does it take of a certain sort to take a, um, change a light bulb. Um but it does worry me that most of the rainbow input was from a very few limited people, from an organisation that still doesn't have its values, 
um, outlined, not transparent. You've got to go digging for its structure. It's not a membership-based organisation. And this is this new Equality Australia that's only been running six months, but all of a sudden it seems like it's um, trying to do a takeover job, but it goes around saying, oh, we want to work in partnership. Well, that's pretty dubious. And they're not, they're a very limited, in my opinion, middle class um, group of people. They are not people who have a lot of support amongst people in the know. They might put on a smooth image, but we've got some issues. So the fact that they didn't bring a range of people in shows that they're not doing good allyship. Um, yeah, there was um, some, there were trans people there, but where were the bi people? There was one intersex person on one panel. You know, these are the sort of people who need to be getting the keynote speeches, not anyone else. So we've got some issues in our community where people, frankly, have lost their guts in the name of pragmatism. And I'm thinking about this, particularly in Stonewall Month, where I just keep thinking about what it must have been like to be at Stonewall or the first Mardi Gras, of which we'll have a lot more on the show next week. Um, it'll be within two days of the 50th anniversary. Um, I'm thinking they must have had nothing to go on, nothing to fall back on. Police could have got away with anything, as we've seen, and yet they stood up for what they wanted. Now we're having people go, oh, we have to we have to make sure we appease the, the corporate media. No, we don't. So some real issues to think about, um, in my opinion, as we go forward as a community. And I just wonder whether these you know, comfortable middle-class activists are really the people to be... Um, you know, leading us in these sorts of debates or whether we need people with a bit of vision and guts and heart, or actually I'll put that in the right order, heart, principle and guts, because you can have all the guts, but if you haven't got your heart in the right place or are not connected to it, you will be doing the wrong thing. And so my sympathies go out and empathy goes out to Carly and others, and particularly if there has been an issue where they brought the um, situation up previously and it hasn't been fixed, that mistakes happen. You know, all sorts of mistakes happen because everyone's human and every one of us on this planet, all seven billion of us make mistakes, and everyone past has and everyone in the future will. The wise people listen to them, learn from them, and make sure they don't happen again. Do we have wisdom organising Australian progress, or is it a lot of privileged people, latte-sipping lefties? And just for the record, I drink flat whites. Anyway... Let's um, prepare to get the fabulous Tina Dixon on the line to talk about the refugee conference. And, well, um, there's probably no prizes for guessing which classic rock track I'm about to play to get things underway. And let's have a listen in a few seconds to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and their track, um, which is all about the topic at hand. Did you know that each donation over $2 you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible? That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au/donate. Power Radical Radio. My name is 
Sell the cooler children and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas, and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Out of the Pan with Sally, first broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. A couple of messages there. Um, Yes, um, Out of the Pan didn't make our Radiothon target last week, so you've still got... Seven days to hop online or in business hours, ring 0394198377. Donuts of $2 or more are tax deductible. And um, yes, um, please contribute. And um, yes, if you have pledged um, to Out of the Pan or any other show, thank you. But uh, I mean, we also do need the cash in the bank. Um, well, uh, refugees, um, what an issue that's everywhere. Um, and it also can intersect, of course, with all parts of a person, including the LGBTIQA plus communities. And on the line, someone who's very passionate about talking about that intersection is someone who does great work. Tina Dixon, um, thanks for being on 3CR. Thank you, Sally, for inviting me. Oh, look, an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, I first um, became aware of you up in Sydney at the Queer Stories event up there at... Um, um, that happened um, in inner Sydney, and I was just blown away. But um, um, you do lots of great work, and you're gearing up for, well, I suppose a, a bit of a landmark in your work that's happening in November. Tell us about the upcoming conference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Queer Displacement, Sexuality, Migration and Exile is going to, to be an inaugural conference exclusively dedicated to the issues of sexuality, gender identity and refugee status. It has been in planning for quite some time now and um, during our time in Australia we've noticed how occasionally there were some um, small events like panels or workshops dedicated to this issue but nothing substantial that would bring together diverse sectors and stakeholders to discuss this issue holistically. So with the conference, we aim to bring together practitioners, academics, policymakers, and most importantly, queer people with the lived experience of forced displacement. Yeah, so well, we can just, sorry. Yeah, no, you know, you, so sorry, we can I thought you finished there. Yeah. Well, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, lots of, um, you know, sort of it needs everyone. It needs all the input. And it is good to see an issue that sometimes is sort of, pushed out to the fringes of the rainbow community be right in, we'll say, the centre of the intersection directing the traffic, if I can use that analogy, which is really, really welcome. Um, And um, so, um, 
Yeah, um, needs everyone. And I mean, let's talk first and foremost, I'm going to say, um, to the people with lived expertise, um, how can they um, sort of get involved in this com- in the conference, which will happen 14, 15 November in Canberra? Um, absolutely. So currently we have a call for abstracts open um, for diverse people and really importantly for people with a lived experience to submit um, their presentations or panel proposals. It's open until September 1st. And we're aiming to bring as many people as possible. We're also planning to have a number of scholarships to be able to support people financially to come to Canberra. Uh, we're currently fundraising for this. Um, there is a um, campaign on CHUFT called Queer Displacement um, because, as you said, these experiences are not just experiences, they're expert knowledge. And whoever has survived through that journey, um, they have a lot to tell on how we can address and meet the needs. And I think it's important that we privilege and foreground those experiences in the conference. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's just, it sometimes seems like so much common sense that um, if you put the people, you know, who are at the, you know, who've been through it and they can say, well, this is, what worked well, this is what didn't, this what this is what would have worked better. Um, you know, sort of, it just, it almost sounds like, you know, sort of common sense 101, but sometimes we don't. Um, and of course, sadly, too many of us in rainbow communities everywhere know that. From your, from your involvement in this issue, which I'll talk more about at a deeper level in a minute, what sort of things will say work and don't work that you've, you've witnessed from um, sort of being so involved? Um, what absolutely works is when groups and support are peer-run because there is um, that level of trust, there is a level of understanding. So when everybody in the group shares similar experiences, obviously they're not the same, but they're similar, um, the work progresses in a much better way because there is a lot less of education you have to do towards um, you know, the mainstream um, community or the white person who runs it. Sometimes what doesn't work is when um, people who have not had this experience come in and they try to, what they call educate. You know, they they want to educate you on what terminology to use. They want to educate you on, you know, how things are done in Australia, completely negating particular cultural experiences, completely negating the fact that, for example, people may have been closeted for their whole life and just by virtue of coming to Australia it does not mean they will come out instantaneously. And there is need for that cultural awareness together with, you know, the lens of sexuality and gender identity. So I think for me the best practice is where a service would actually support a peer-run group um, to go from their premises, they would resource them, they would train them up, but they would sort of, you know, give the power to their hands. Yeah, no, absolutely. Put it in at the grassroots is the thing to do. Um I probably didn't, I'd be honest enough to say that I didn't have a huge amount of awareness on this issue until a few years ago where I heard someone speak at a conference and um, heard the, I still, it almost makes me cringe to even say this, that some of the questions that are asked by um, queer people seeking, um, you know, to live in Australia, um, and that was the one about asking a gay man, how many Madonna songs do we know? So I'm sorry to bring that up, but is this the yeah. sort of nonsense that's still happening for, um, you know, queer people seeking to live in Australia? 
Um, I think it depends. So it, it does definitely still happen. And the reason is that um, there is no compulsory training for decision makers mm. on how to process these cases. So there are guidelines in place, which are great. I saw the guidelines in gender density. They're really good. But there is no way to enforce them. So surely um, then it becomes a very subjective experience if you come to a decision maker who is more aware, who is more trained, who is more sympathetic, they will treat you with dignity. If you don't happen to come to the decision maker, you do get those questions, you know, uh, and, and in a way it's never, answers never good enough. You either not enough queer or you're too much queer and in any case then they will tell you that you're faking it. So it's really hard because if you have a heterosexual couple, for example, seeking asylum, they will never be questioned on the nature of their relationship. But as soon as you have a queer person, that issue of credibility and that um, almost default lack of trust that you are who you are um, is what underpins the whole process, unfortunately. Yeah, no, a lot of it. I'm thinking one of my colleagues who I do training with who is a cisgender bi woman was once asked um, very rudely in a training session um, on LGBTI 101, well, um, if, you, if you're attracted to men, why can't you just be heterosexual all the time? So I imagine if, you know, that, if that's, and she was quite anguished over that, but I can imagine that if you're facing all these whole so many layers of, um, you know, sort of um, wanting to get away from a, hot, a place that sadly is no longer safe to live, for whether it's for um, queer or other factors, and then you come here and face that, it, gosh, I just can't even begin to imagine how distressing that is. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to bisexual people, like it's even mm. worse because it's exactly there's lots of stereotypes. But what I also have seen is that when, for example, women were forcibly married in their countries because that's the culture and, and you know, and they couldn't resist the families, um, but they knew they were queer or maybe they um, sort of come out later in their marriage and, and they um, left the countries. In those instances, decision-makers disregard those um, gender-based violence um, perpetrated against them and say, well, you were married or you have a child, you cannot be queer. So there is even more stereotypes and much more ignorance um, on that deeper level sometimes. Well, true. You know, um, we do sadly have a hierarchy of knowledge in the rainbow communities, which is roughly G, L, some T, but then it sort of begins to fade away um, pretty rapidly. Um, and, you know, we're, and so, um, you know, um, you know, people outside of the communities will, will parallel that, sadly, if they're not well informed. So, yep, yeah. really, really important. So certainly the priority is on those with lived expertise, but of course, all who are We'll say supportive or welcome. Who, um, in terms of other people who you would love to see at queer displacements, um, who would you like to see? You know, who else can come along and um, put something in? I think as many people and as diverse people as possible, because very often this issue gets to be branded as a very niche issue, as mm. something that is only for refugee sector or only for LGBT sector. While this is um, not true, I think any service provider whether health or housing or legal, they need to be aware of those intersectional experiences and they need to be equipped to serve those communities well without assuming that anybody who comes through their doors, you know, are straight or cis or, or able-bodied. 
So I would really love to see diverse service sector, um, like housing, health, um, legal, LGBT, refugee, obviously multicultural services. We also want to see academics. We also want to see policymakers who work in social policy, because, again, it's important that we do start from the premises of those marginalized experiences because those experiences are able to tell us more about power dynamics and about discrimination that happens in society than just mainstream experiences. Yeah, so there's a, on the um, website, which is um, page for this, which is hosted by Australian National University and comes up easily in a search engine, um, queer displacement, sexuality, migration and exile. Um, you, yeah, you've gone through a good list of the sort of things that need to be covered, but you're pretty flexible as well. I noticed, you know, that um, if it's um, you'll sort of take everything on a bit of a case by case basis. Absolutely, um, I wanted to be open, and I put those topics uh, more as a guidance, so people who maybe not necessarily looking specifically into issues of LGBTQ refugees, but working somewhere on the margin of this topic, um, would see themselves fit. But I also wanted to be open and not to dictate what we actually discuss when discussing sexuality and asylum, but rather give the space for people to decide, and especially for people who do have this lived experience, to decide what is important for them to raise in those settings. Yep, no, very, very important. Um, we're gonna, I was going to say that, um, sadly, of course, um, any, well, I hate the term minority group, but groups that can face potentially and actually face discrimination um, face that. And I noticed on the front page of the Sunday Age down here in Melbourne, the headline, Refugee Flood Fear a Fizzer, which is good that it's a fizzer, but bad that there was a the flood thing was raised in the first place. You know, I can't imagine that someone who's newly arrived, I mean, sorry, I'll start that again. I just, again, I consider myself an empathic person, but I can't imagine the sort of emotions that would run through when people who are desperate to just come and start their, you know, get a, a go on life, um, come and read that sort of thing, that sort of emotive beat up. Um, what sort of, what you know, from what you've seen and heard, what sort of um, emotions do come up for people who have to face that sort of sensationalism when they're just people trying to live? Absolutely, and I think the government is using very emotive language. And normally, if you notice the language of natural disasters, you know, we're talking about floods and, and things like that kind of involve those fears in the general community. Mm. But we've discussed this through my research with uh, women who participated, and most of them tend not to look at the news precisely because it is so traumatizing and it is so triggering and you constantly see yourself depicted in a way that is not who you are. You know, um, people come in and people do their best trying to heal and trying to be part of the community and all of that gets to be disrespectful, disrespected unless you kind of fit into very particular narratives of who can be a refugee, you know, to be a very successful person and, and things like that. So for people, it is very painful to see those things in the media. So lots of people choose just not to engage with it because, you know, you don't control the narrative and you can't, in a way, um, respond to those um, accusations in the same way. So, so it's really damaging. Absolutely, yes. There was one thing I wanted to ask, which I'll say, put, please put in your own words, including whatever you want to say and don't want to say. Where does your... You've obviously got a huge passion for this particular part of our community. Can you just tell us a little about 
um, where that's come from, um, as I say, in very much in your own words? Absolutely. Um, I would probably describe this more as responsibility rather than a passion. Um, we came to Australia seven years ago um, and have sought asylum here. And at the time when we came, there was no support services available for us that would meet those intersecting needs. Um, there was no narrative about it. There was no desire to have any conversations about it. And probably in the first couple of years, it felt really isolating. Um, it felt impossible to tell about these experiences to, some, to anybody because people would then frame you into a very particular frame, like, oh, you're a refugee, and then that only meant, you know, something um, which wasn't representing of us. And then later, um, I decided that I wanted to do a PhD on this topic just to bring, you know, those experiences um, to the forefront. And while I was searching for people, I found so many amazing women who were the same isolated um, because you never hear that experiences like yours mm. exist. And some of the participants told me that, you know, in their years in Australia, I was the first person with a similar experience who they talked to. So I think I feel um, a great responsibility towards others um, to be able to to talk about these issues in open, to be able to talk about these issues ethically and to be able to raise the profile of the issue so people do not feel like they are the only one against the whole world. Yeah, no, connection is just so, so critical. And I should point out that when you said we, you, of course, refer to a wonderful person in your life, and that's Renee um, as well, who Thank works you. so yes. closely with you. Um, yes. Um, she's, um, she's also now embarking on a PhD journey, actually. She will be building a um, digital archive of LGBTIQ stories of post-migration. So she's currently overseas collecting some of those oral histories of people again, to make that um, imprint into the history because, um, you know, as soon as there's no much LGBT history preserved in general, but when it is, um, you know, we come to this very common experiences, probably of just L and G, and we just want to enlarge that a little bit. Well, you know, I think you've touched on some really good points there that, um, first of all, you can't, it's just, to me, a personal story is just such... Um, a very um, you know, strong thing um, to, to, to get across and it's um, just such a, a, just a way of communicating on a level. Well, as people, um, we heard the promo for the 3CR show Refugee Radio that you know, people just with hopes and dreams, well, we all have those and that's important. But I'm, you know, there's a part of my little heart, my by and trans heart singing at this end of the line um, because, yeah, often so much of the stories are lesbian and gay focused and not the whole rainbow, um, so to speak. So it is important as well that um, we get stories of, say, bi and trans you know, um, people as well um, for the conference and for um, Renee's PhD. Absolutely, and this is one of our priorities, is to ensure the whole diversity within the LGBTIQ umbrella, um, that you know we have people, uh, we don't have the most common experiences, but we actually bring together you know, the whole wealth of experiences. And um, through our network, we are now contacting um, trans people from Sydney, from Canberra, um, you know, um, cis women, trying to just make sure that that, that representation um, is in place. Um, but just a small comment on your stories. I think it's not only important that we tell those stories, 
it's very important how we tell them. Ah, Because yes. especially in the refugee space, there are um, what I call them um, sort of scripts in place that they only want you to tell a refugee story in a very particular way. Mm. And when it comes to LGBTQ person, you always have to talk how horrible your country was, that you really hate it. And then Australia is such an egalitarian place. You know, we're inclusive of everybody. We're so tolerant and you're so safe to be here. Well, sometimes it's not the case, you know. And I think to be able to tell your story in your own words, yeah. to be able not to be scripted in what you tell. And sometimes it needs to be critical even of Australia. Yes, of course, it is much safer. But, you know, there are still lots of issues we have to address in this country. So I think it's important that, you know, stories are told um, through that lived experience and uh, without any limitations of what is allowed to be said. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point that often we're forced, you know, stories of all sorts are forced to fit a narrative, um, um, sort of a sort of nice, safe, um, would all appeal to the middle class picket fence narrative. Well, they aren't often like that, for sure. And I think that some um, honesty is important, is just totally important. Um, no question there. I was um, going to ask, there are a couple of thoughts that came to mind while you were speaking. Um, one is, um, you know, this could also be very, it's obviously going to be emotional for the people, or it could well be emotional, I shouldn't say is going to be, um, for the people with lived expertise. But I suppose there could be, you know, moments also I've heard stories of people who have been, say, to um, witness things on Manus and Nauru that just leave me, you know, just speechless. So there will there be, say, backup counselling support and that sort of thing at the conference, just in case people are going, oh, I could, you know, it could be a bit um, emotional, that sort of thing? Absolutely. This is a really important point, and we will ensure that there is a backup counselling because sometimes the way how trauma works, you never know what can trigger you, and we want to make sure that everybody is safe and is comfortable there, you know, to, to the degree it is it is possible. Yeah. yeah, but also sometimes even the positive stuff, like you come to those places and then you suddenly see so many people with similar experiences and you feel this solidarity and connections. And even those things are also sometimes really triggering. So I think safety is, is a priority for us. Yeah, uh, they can be just, we'll say, emotional and we won't call those positive, negative or in the interests of non-binary neutral or um, neither or um, emotions either. So that's important. But I think it is you know, important to mention that there will, there's obviously got to be positives that come out of it. And I was going to ask, you know, what are the sort of strengths that um, um, queer, queer people um, seeking to live in Australia have come up with? Can you just throw a couple of those in there? Um, you mean in terms of um, addressing the gap? Well, no, just sort of more, you know, it must be incredibly, and as I say, obviously it's a challenging experience and I don't take away from that for a second, but what sort of things have you discovered thus far that, you know, get get people through? How, you know, sort of what sort of things have worked? Mm. You know, what are the strengths of the people who have had to go through these sorts of situations? I think solidarity networks and groups when you're able to gather together and um, just know that you are not alone in this, know that um, some experiences are very common and very normal um, that you're going through in Australia. Um, This is one of the biggest takeaways that we got through the Queer Sisterhood Project where we meet with queer refugee women, just that sense of solidarity, just that sense that you do not have to explain yourself. People understand. Um, And then um, those 
little, you know, tips that you give each other about the life in Australia, about um, things that maybe for somebody who was born here are very um, natural, like, you know, what is census or what is ATO or how do you do tax return, kind of this very practical um, everyday mm-hmm. life things. Um, also, we've done last year a workshop on um, sexual health, and it was really important because it is really apparently it was really hard to find um, information that would be queer specific, but also culturally specific. For example, accounts yeah. for experiences of female genital cutting, um, you know, of a queer person. So, um, and we were able to run this workshop, and it was really useful for for people to have access. To that information. Now, see, there's, you know, there's a detail that I have to say I probably wouldn't have thought of myself as a white Anglo-Saxon person. I mean, I know it's hard. We don't do nearly enough sexual health and sex positivity work, but you know, there's you know, put in those extra layers, and there it is. So, yep, really, really important. So, um, if people want to get involved in the conference, let's um, just make sure we've got that covered again. Um, the page Queer Displacements, Sexuality, Migration and Exile comes up in the search engine and you get to the ANU page. What do people then need to do from there to put in an abstract for a submission panel, etc.? And when do they need to block out their diaries? Um, so the abstracts are due by the 1st of September. The conference is happening on the 14th and 15th of November. We're also hoping that a day before the official opening of the conference on the 13th, we will have a free-to-public panel with keynote speakers. We are bringing Professor Esna Lupheit from the University of Arizona, who is a world-known expert in sexuality and migration. And hopefully, if we get the funding, we're bringing um, a practitioner from Europe who works exclusively with LGBTIQ refugees um, in one of the countries. Um, yeah, so check back on the page and registrations for the conference will open um, sometime in August. Like, excellent. Tina, look, um, for yourself, Ray, this is just something that's hugely needed. Um, you know, we can only encourage people um, to do that. I was just going to actually, I did have one more question that's just come back. Um, for those who want to be allies to um, queer, queer displaced people who are, you know, have come to Australia, a couple of things we can do for now, as we'll say, apart from keep mentioning the conference, but other, um, some things that we could um, do specifically apart from just listening and learning, I suppose. Absolutely. I think when it comes to um, to support is, um, is a couple of things. So first, I think always be aware that there is never a single story of asylum, Mm -hmm. that there is a great diversity in educating yourself on that. Um, When you do meet people who are queer and have been displaced in all of your support and advocacy, it's important that those people stand in the centre and you stand next to them. Mm -hmm. You support them, but you let them speak and you don't speak on their behalf. Um, But instead, you know, you you put them there and you foreground their experiences. I think for me that's the most important thing. Yep, Um, as the saying goes, to be an ally, walk beside someone, not in front of them, so to speak. Absolutely. Tina, an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm going to... um, Canberra in November should be okay. It can't be like seven degree Melbourne. What's it like up in Sydney at the moment this morning? Um, I mean, I'm in Canberra, so this morning oh. I think it was 
was about minus two, so we are into the mornings when it is minus even at 8 a.m. <laughs> so November will be very pleasant, I can assure you. Yep, no, very much. Um, it's got to be warmer than this solstice weather that we're having in both cities. So, <laughs> um, you know, a good time of year to be up there. Um, look, um, Thank you so much for being on. We'll keep people in touch. If you've got more announcements over the next couple of months, naturally get them through to us. And just most of all to you and Renee, keep up the awesome work. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Daddy, for having me today. Tina Dixon, who along with Renee is organising Queer Displacement, Sexuality, Migration and Exile, which, as I say, comes up pretty easily in a search engine um, um, with the ANU page. And also if you put fund queer refugees, um, fund queer, dis- chuffed queer displacements, you'll get that fundraiser if you want to support people to get to the conference, which I think um, particularly people with lived expertise would be so important. All right, let's gather our- ourselves and catch our breath and all that sort of thing and um, have some more appropriate music and, um, well to um, book in the conference, uh, book in that uh, discuss, um, that uh, conversation. Let's um, have another song that seems highly appropriate. And once again, no prizes for guessing which cold chisel song this time it will be. 3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally. Hoi there, shipmates. This is Captain Trash from the Port Phillip Echo Center in St Kilder. Did you ever hear the crow in the sky going, ah, ah, ah? That stands for reuse, reuse, recycle. And you heard it first on 3CR. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Three CR eight five five AM three CR digital three CR dot org dot au three CR on demand out of the pan with Sally first broadcasting noon till one Sunday afternoons. Thanks for your company. That piano music reminded me of the um, music on at the end of the famous Patamowski cartoon by Warner Brothers, where the mouse plays the piano and the cat discovers it can play the drums. Um, there's a childhood flashback. I'll be off and get therapy after the show. Lots of things happening in the community um, of the standing events, so to speak, or the recurring events, a better way to put it. Um, if you're a trans man, the shed is on this afternoon um, in, um, um, in Carlton um, for trans men. Um, check out transshedboys.com. The Buy Discussion Group um, is on this Tuesday, also in Carlton, um, 7.15 for 7.30. You can bring food in but not alcohol. 
Um, Bent TV is always Friday night, and then the Polyvic Social gets us through the week. But there's, of course, a wonderful event, and if you um, tune into the podcast or on demand for the um, fantastic um, In Your Face, which goes to air um, Friday, um, you can have a listen to James talking to the wonderful Alison Thorne about the Solid Solidarity Salon event next Saturday, um, marking the 50th anniversary of um, um, Stonewall called Rainbow Warriors Unite, 50 years after Stonewall, um, thir- um, half past one where you can get the fabulous lunch there and then two o'clock for all sorts of discussion, get energised by history and rebuild the resistance today, which I think we've got to do at the grassroots, as I said at the start of the show. And it needs people you know, like Tina. I just, as I say, I'm not sure some of the to use the Molina's article, the careerist politics people, whether, as I say, they're in Parliament or not, are the right ones to be doing it all. So, yep, lots of good events coming up. And, of course, something that started this week and will be going ongoing for a while yet is the campaign for birth certificates. Um, Victorian birth certificate laws have been introduced into Parliament um, this week. We're more confident um, this time, given the numbers in the upper house. But the things you can do to really lock it in, talk to MPs other than the ones you know are likely. I mean, it is, I'm not going to presume anyone's position, but obviously if Labor's introduced it, well, they've supported it. And you'd guess that the Greens, Fiona Patton would, and um, has, as has now been announced publicly, Andy Medic of Animal Justice has a trans child. So it's looking all, you know, cautiously, fingers crossed, etc. All right. But talk to MPs from other parties, get, drill them in on the issues, because there's already been attempts to do misinformation. I was contacted in my transgender Victoria media role by a producer of a radio program. He said, oh, the producers, the presenter supports them, the laws, but just wants to talk about bathrooms and changing rooms. Great. Balanced media, not so... Um, we need trans people, families who are capable, but we're really talking of allies walking beside us. We need your involvement in this one to start contacting politicians from the other crossbenchers in the upper house and lower house, but also liberals and nationals, and saying, hey, are you aware of the truth here and demand meetings? Last time, liberals and nationals wouldn't meet with anyone supporting the legislation and wouldn't even do individual letters. You just got a standard um, auto-response email back. That's not good enough. That's undemocratic. So hopefully this time there will be better process and as well as a better outcome. But I'll keep you informed on that in the coming weeks. Um, So um, um, let's make sure we do that. And thanks to the fabulous James McKenzie for your tweets as well. Anyway, I'd better get out of here and make way for freedom of species. Um, Talking all the shows around us, um, well done to... Out of the blue, I don't think they might, for once they might not dive as deep today, unless I was talking to Andrew on the way out, not without a wetsuit on. Seven degrees here in Melbourne. I think it's the indoor pool for me this afternoon <laughs> for my exercise. But I'll take it out today um, with Graham Connors. And regardless of gender, um, we are all people, you, me, all the same brothers. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.